new series, Divine Direction. <laughs> that was more a reminder for me than it is for you. Now, the decisions that we make today are going to determine the stories we tell tomorrow. Have you ever thought about that? How did you get to where you are today? Anybody? By luck. <laughs> okay, it could be by luck, or uh, I'm going to suggest it's based on the decisions that you have made in the past. Okay? You're here, you're where you are based on the decisions that you made in the past. Now, how many of you have ever felt like you were in a position where you couldn't make a decision? Okay, yeah, we're going to talk about that a little bit. You know, you were kind of hemmed in, you didn't have a choice, you didn't. But every time you face anything, you have a choice. You have a choice. Now, uh, think about the future. What you become in the future will largely be determined by the decisions you make today. Okay, the decisions you make today. Decisions change the course of our lives. And so I want us to be focused on that today. If you uh, really think about it, and if you're really honest, not all of us have been really good decision makers, have we? Anybody here ever make a decision you regretted? Okay, let me give you some, a list here. Uh, okay, have you ever made a permanent decision based on a fleeting emotion? Okay, anybody ever get angry? Okay, you made a decision based on a fleeting emotion of anger and you expressed your anger in who knows what way. Anybody get angry on the way to church today? <laughs> oh, I heard a, I heard a, <laughs> that means yes. I interpret that stuff, Okay. So, so we have those things that, that go on. Um, you ever make a decision you regret it? Okay, think about your dating life. You ever dated somebody you regretted? Now, let's go one step further. Don't raise your hands. Did you marry them? <laughs> I don't know. Are you currently married to them? No, don't answer that one. No. Okay, we don't, we don't want to go there. Okay, have you ever made a purchase that you wish you hadn't? Uh, my mom, one time, this door-to-door salesman came around. And, and, I mean, it was before I was born. And she bought this lamp. And I think we still own the lamp, don't we? <laughs> Cindy, <laughs> it has such a bad story to it. And Cindy got rid of it. But we had it for a while. My mom, she was so proud of this purchase. And she told my dad. My dad came home. He said, hey, we've got a new lamp. What? You know, and he was kind of, you know, that, that's back in the days when money wasn't real accessible. And so he came home. And he says, where's the new lamp come from? She goes, oh. I got it. This guy came door to door. He sold it to me. And I saved so much money based on what it was in the stores. I mean, I just couldn't pass it up. My dad just very stoically said, you never save money when you spend money. Just saying, you know, she, she wished she hadn't. Anybody ever buy a car you wish you hadn't? You know, yeah. I've sold some cars I wish I hadn't. And, uh, uh, seriously, I, I had a 1969 Corvette. And uh, before I met Cindy, and then, I, and you know what I sold that car to do? To buy her a wedding ring, an engagement ring. I sold a 1969 Corvette, and I, I mean, I'm not—I wasn't attached to the thing, but it was an LA 88. It had a 427 four-speed. It had previously been owned by the kid that played Eddie Munster. It was set up for racing, and I mean, it was an awesome car. Did I tell you? Did I tell you about this car? <laughs> no, I gladly sold it so I could marry Cindy. Man, I would have sold two of them. Okay, but but you know, sometimes we regret the things we sell. Sometimes we regret the things we buy. Sometimes we have regret over that stuff. Now, have you ever said this? 
watch this. And then when you regain consciousness, you were in the emergency room. You know? Have you ever seen stuff on, on the internet, the Darwin Awards? Guys that do just crazy stuff. You know, I hear stories about these guys. This one guy was in a, in a bar in somewhere in East Europe, uh, Eastern Europe, and he was in a bar, and, and the guy said, hey, you know, I chopped down a tree with this chainsaw, and da-da-da, and the guy said, you know, and I'm good with this chainsaw, and the other guy at the bar said, you think you're good at the chainsaw, and he goes out to his truck, brings the chainsaw into the, into the bar, fires it up, and starts whipping it around, and cut his own arm off. <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying. Okay? Now, um, some of you uh, have decisions that you need to make about health. Some of you have decisions you need to maybe make about the health of your parents and the things that you need to take care of. My kids need to do that for me. And so, uh, you know, they need to take care of me. Uh, Some of you want to know about a job, a transfer. Should I stay at this job? Should I go to a new job? Should I uh, move out of the state? How many of you have thought about moving out of California? Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I'm just saying. Okay. Uh, Job transfer. Question. Who should I marry? How many kids should we have? You know, and, and I think about the millennial generation that's growing up right now. The millennials, man, those guys, it's, it's documented, studies have shown that they have the hardest time making decisions. And they've did a little, done a little research about that, and they have discovered that millennials have a hard time making decisions because there are so many options available. So many options available that, you know, have you ever gone to a restaurant? Let's be honest. And they have this overwhelming menu. And you just go, oh, it's going to take me a while to get through this thing. And uh, then you, oh, I like that, I like that. Okay, narrow it down to the top ten, and then you got to narrow it down to five. And, and, I mean, there's just so many options available that it's difficult to make a decision. Now, with so many options available, many people just say, oh, okay, I, I'm just not going to make a decision at all. And many times, not making a decision is even worse than making a, you know, ill-informed decision. Because it keeps you stagnant. One of the favorite phrases that I have when in reference to God's leadership is, God can't steer a parked car. Have you ever thought about that? You're the car, okay? And sometimes we're parked at the curb, and we're waiting for instructions from God. And we're waiting, and we're waiting, and we're waiting. And we hear something, we go, oh, I don't know if that's God or not. I'm going to stay parked. You know? And then a little while later, we get a little prompting maybe to do something else. And, oh, no, I'm going to stay parked. And my suggestion is, get rolling. Go in any direction, you know, but go slowly and go attentively, you know, listen for God because he can redirect you many times easier than he can get you moving, okay? And that's what the millennial generation is having. You know, they have a hard time getting moving, but sometimes we need to get moving so that we can be redirected in the right course, okay? Now, uh, today, we're going to build a foundation on getting started here in divine direction. We're just going to set the foundation. We're going to have uh, three more weeks to fully flesh out what God wants from us, how he's going to dis- uh, disclose it to us, and how we're going to discover it. And so we're going to answer one basic question today. Okay, one basic question. And when it comes to God, here's the question. When it comes to God's will, what is God concerned about? Okay, wouldn't it be good to know that? when you're venturing out, trying to get a hold of what God wants. So if you're taking notes today, God cares about who before do. He cares about who before do. Now, most of the time when we think about God's will and making decisions, we're thinking about the doing part. What should I do? 
when really God is care, care, cares about who you are. Because who you are will determine what you do. It'll be a natural outgrowth of what you do, of who you are. In 1 Thessalonians 4.2, it says this. Anytime you read these words in the Bible, mark them down, highlight them, circle them, do whatever you need to do so you can remember it. It is God's will. Okay, have you ever wondered what God's will is? Yeah, we often wonder what God's will is. Here's God's will. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. That is the Greek word hagios. Okay, hagios. And what it means is holy. A lot of times it's translated holy. That you should be holy. You know, now when I tell you that you should be holy, what's your first response? For most people, the first response is, I can't do that. I can't do that. So therefore, we neglect the first few words there. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should be holy. Now this word holy, this word hagios, has to do with becoming more and more like God every step of the way. Okay, It's sanctification. It's, okay, I entered here, and I want to become more and more and more like him. Most of you are on that journey, becoming more and more and more like God. And so we need to understand what does he want? Well, he goes on. Okay, Paul tells the Thessalonian church here, he says, you should be sanctified. And he explains a little bit about what that sanctification would look like. That you should avoid what? Okay, anybody want to give a testimony there? Just kidding. Come on. Lighten up, you guys. Hey, verse, verse 4. Okay, we should avoid having sex with people who are not our wives or our husbands. Okay, got it? Okay. That's, that's becoming holy, becoming like God. Now, verse number four, that each of you should learn to control your own body. How many of you have trouble controlling your own body? I'll tell you what. what okay. Oh, I wasn't thinking about that. Yeah. But what we say. Okay. And what is the rule for our mouth? What we say. Paul tells the Ephesian church, let no unwholesome speech proceed from your mouth, but only those words that are good for building up other people. Now, if we use that as the rule for what we talked about, we'd talk a whole lot less, wouldn't we? <laughs> Let's be honest. And I'm just going to say, we should talk a whole lot less. Or we should maintain the same amount of verbalization, but we should direct it in building up other people. Okay, so that's the rule there. Okay, how else do we have trouble controlling our bodies? Oh, thank you, that's mine. Okay, you know, Cindy makes the best tacos in the world. And she'll see, you know, when she's cooking those tacos, she says, how many do you want? And immediately, 50 comes into my mind. You know, 50. You know, I want 50 of them. And, you know, you can't eat 50 tacos. I don't know. I, I don't know. She's never made that many. Maybe we should try. Uh, but, but, you know, you think, oh, yeah. And our appetites are what many times lead us astray. Control your own bodies. And here's how we should control it in a way that is holy and honorable. What do you look at? Control your body and what you look at. Because you know what? What you look at many times will determine where you end up. Okay? When you start looking at stuff and you say, I'd sure like to have that. How many of you ever walked on a car lot? You know? And, you're, and, and in your mind you said, I'm just looking. I'm just looking. You know what those salesmen are trained to do? To, to turn a looker to a buyer. And they're crafty at their deal. You know, they're crafty at their stuff. And uh, so we start looking, we see a car, and the goal is, you, the, the salesman's goal is to find out what car do you like? 
Okay, what kind of car? And you see a flashy car, you go, oh, I like that one. They go, hey, you know what the next step is? Let's take it for a drive. Let's get you in the seat. You're going to like this. Oh, yeah. And you say, oh, I'm just looking. They go, no problem. You know, we're just riding. You know, you're not writing a check. Just get in. Come on, let's go for a drive. And you go, oh, okay, can't hurt to drive. And you drive it. And then you know what you end up doing? Not only do you like the way that it looks, you like the way that it drives. And he says, hey, you know, you have a family? Yeah, that's why we're looking for an SUV and da-da-da-da-da. Oh, yeah, your kids, oh, man, they'd fit right in here. We've got these things for kids. We've got those things for kids. Oh, man, it's awesome. And pretty soon, you're in the finance office. And you're signing paperwork. And you leave in your new car, and you get home, and you say, how did I get here? These payments are going to kill me. They say, ah, don't worry. Only 72 easy payments. Let me say this. I don't care how many they are, and I don't care how much they are. They're never easy. Okay, So don't fall for that. But nonetheless, we get there, and our eyes start seeing things, and it causes us to want things. Make a covenant with your eyes that you're not going to look on anything that you don't think God wants you to have. Okay, So our eyes are part of that controlling our body. Our senses, our hearing. You know, What do you listen to? You know, a lot of people, you know, used to be, uh, you know, listen to music, you know, and all music is just kind of neutral, you know, but there's some music out there that's vile. There's some music that will change the way you think. If you listen to it long enough and often enough, it'll change the way you speak. It'll change the way that you interact with society. Be careful with what you listen to. Okay. Be careful with what you listen to. So the apostle Paul knows that stuff. He says, each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy, set apart for God and honorable. Okay, it does something that is beneficial down the road. And he goes, makes a contrast in verse 5. Not in passionate lust like the pagans. Now, passionate lust doesn't just have to do with sexual immorality. It has to do with all of the things I want. I want a new car. I want a new house. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want, I want, I want. And it has to do with passionate lust. And he says, don't do that like the pagans do, who do not know God. And that in, uh, that in this matter... No one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. He says, okay, get your act together. Don't take advantage of people, especially brothers and sisters in Christ. And that was going on in the Thessalonian church. They're taking advantage of each other. And so, therefore, don't do that. Now, like I said, hagios is the Greek word for sanctified or holy. It means set apart. And it says several things that we should avoid. Now, often, often, um, Jesus would, would talk to people about what their future should be, right? Never once did Jesus say, hey, I think you would be good at this job, or I think you would be good in this town, or I think you would be good at that school. And many times when we try to discern the will of God, what are we looking for? Things like that. I remember when I was in church as a kid, you know, there was a big thing. You need to follow God. You, know, you need to follow Jesus. And I said, okay, I'm going to follow Jesus, man. I make a commitment. I'm going to follow Jesus. And I would be on my way home, and I would be driving my car, and I would need some gas. And I mean, it got so weird for me that I'm driving down the street, and every block, when I was a kid, when I was a 16-year-old kid driving my car, every block had at least three gas stations, most often four. Okay, so from the time I left school till the time I got home, I probably passed 40 gas stations, you know, and I'm driving and I need gas and I'm following God 
And I say, God, which gas station should I stop at? Okay, which gas station? Which gas station? Which gas station? And man, I would find myself getting all the way home, and I don't have any gas yet. So I'd go in and run back shed where my dad had his five-gallon can for the gas for the lawnmower, and I'd fill my car with that. I go, God didn't speak to me. I can't get gas. Oh no! And I was so freaked out about following God that man, it was a tightrope, and I couldn't I couldn't deviate from the tightrope, and so therefore I made no decision at all. Many of you might be in that same position, thinking that God's will is such a tightrope and there's no latitude for anything, so therefore I have to stay on the straight and narrow and I hold my breath and I close my eyes and I walk the tightrope. That's not God's will. Okay? God's will is who before do. Okay? If you're worried about the doing part, don't. First, because I'm going to be honest with you. Okay, I'm going I'm to throw this out there. God doesn't care what city you live in. Okay, God doesn't care what job you have to a large extent. God doesn't care about... I'm going to be real careful here, okay? God doesn't care about who you specifically marry, the person. How many of you believe that there's one person for each person in God's will? Okay, I believe that there's a type of person, a type of person for each person in God's will. He wants you to marry someone who's honoring to God. He wants you to marry someone who has service to him in mind. He wants you to marry someone who's following him. Okay? Uh, and and I, I just say this. If you believe there's only, you know, I, I tell premarital couples or kids, you know, that are single, and they come and say, who? Yeah, I'm having trouble. I don't know who you should marry. I said, well, uh, what do you believe? They say, well, I believe there's one person for me in this world somewhere. And my question always is, what if they are already married? What if they messed up and married somebody wrong? <gasps> You'll never be married. You know, and they kind of come to awareness. Of, well, you know, I say, God is more concerned about the type of marriage, the who about who they are, rather than the who about what their name is. Okay, what kind of person is there? Okay, so we need to do the who before the do. Um, now, let me ask you this, and, and be kind to me here, Okay. How many of you believe that it's God's will for me to be a pastor? Not many of you. Okay, not many of you. Okay, but that hurts my feelings a little bit. Okay, but, but you know, I, I think most people, if they go to a church, they say, yeah, it's God's will for our pastor to be the pastor. I'm trying to prompt you here a little bit. Okay, say yes. How many, here, here, first, raise your hands. Everybody raise your hands. Okay, I'll ask a question now. Okay, now, if, let's, let's put this in perspective. If I preach the word to you and you're changed by it and, and you're excited about following Christ, would you say that it's God's will for me to be the pastor? Yes. Yeah. Now, if I do that, you get excited about it and you follow God and I go home and I beat Cindy. Can we find out? Is it God's will for me to be pastor? No. Oh, how do you know if I beat Cindy or not? <laughs> now Cindy bruises really easily and she'll tell you that she'll tell you that uh, but uh, so don't be looking for stuff okay. but my point is God is not concerned about what I do as much as he is concerned about who I am okay if I'm a follower of him I'm going to have opportunities to share him everywhere I go if you are a follower of him you're going to have opportunities to share him wherever you go so when it comes down to the 
other stuff, you know, the well, it, what's God's will for me when it comes to this or that? What job should I take? What person should I marry? All the stuff, the gas station stuff, all that stuff. Whatever you do, wherever you go, make sure that you're serving Jesus in whatever you do. That's God's will. That's God's will. We hone that to a fine point, and many times we can't hit the dot. Okay, We can't achieve that because we're so specific about God's will. God's will is really fluid, I found out, in life. You know, I can, you know, when you stop and think, uh, Pastor Mike, should you be the pastor of this church or that church or whatever church? I remember when we got started uh, in this church, one pastor who was, uh, you know, a seasoned veteran, he came to me and he says, you know, what makes you think God wants you to start a church? And that's a, that's a kind of a tough statement, isn't it? Kind of a tough question to ask. And here was my response. I said, I don't know that God wants me to start a church. He wants me to be the church wherever I am. The same is true for each of you. He wants us to be the church, not go to church. Okay? He wants, should I start a church? No, I should just be the church. And if I'm being the church here and you guys come and you get to be the church with us, man, then we have kind of a corporate thing going on and we've got a, a, a greater influence. We have a way to sharpen each other and all that stuff. So does God want to start a church? Yeah, I don't know. He wants us to be the church. Be the church. Find some place where you can be the church, not just go to church. Okay? Now, what else does God care about? God cares about why before what. Okay? He cares about why you do stuff or why you have stuff before he's concerned about what you have. Now, we grow up in America and we have this kind of, you know, this pie-in-the-sky thing, everybody should have a car, a house, a, you know, family, the white picket fence, all that stuff. And so we get into this acquisition mode, and we start wanting stuff, and we start accumulating stuff, and we want to have stuff. And God is not so concerned about what you have as he is concerned about why you have it. Okay, so let's take a look at Proverbs 16.2. All a person's ways seem pure to them. Everything that, you know, when you analyze your own life and you look at what you're doing and you say, yeah, that's good. It's, it seems right to me to do that. And that's another way to interpret this. All a person's ways seem right to them. Okay? And, and when you do stuff, when you buy stuff, and yeah, it just seems right. You know, this, our old one's worn out. We need a new washer. We need a new dryer. We need a whatever. Uh, you know, uh, I need new clothes. I need, you know, whatever it is. You know, it just seems right. Okay. But motives are weighed by the Lord. Why we want them is what matters to God. That's what he weighs. He doesn't weigh so much what you have. He weighs why you want it. What was the motivation behind that? Now, in Psalm 39, this is not included in your, in your outline, but I want, maybe you might just want to jot down Psalm 39. There's a passage there that says, Search my heart, O God. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Check me out, God. And what he's asking, what the psalmist is asking here is, search my motives. Figure out, you know, and declare to me why I do what I do. I believe that one of the hardest tasks we have in life is figuring out what in the world are our motives. Why do we do what we do? However, I think there's a much easier thing that we do. We can always figure out why somebody else does something that they do. Have you ever thought about that? You know, I know why they did that. They were getting back at me. I know why they did that. They want to get ahead of me at work. I know why they did that. They want to prove they're a better mom or a dad than I am. I know why they do that, because they want to get back at me for what I did to them as a kid. I know why they do that. I mean, holy cow. Folks, 
we don't usually have that kind of expertise when it comes to analyzing our own motives. You know, why do you do what you do? I don't know. I just felt like it. You know, and there it is. There's the bottom line to why we do what we do. I felt like it. Okay, why did you have an outburst of anger? I felt like it. You know, it's healthy for me to get my anger out. Well, not always. Not always. And, and I, I dare say that often when we get our anger out, we regret it down the road. So is that healthy? No, we have a guilty conscience, all that stuff. We've got to go back and make it right. No, that's not right. So why do we do what we do? I felt like it. Now, I want you to stop and think before you do stuff or before you acquire things, why do I want that? Why do I want it? If you're going out to buy a house, why do I want a house? If you're going out to buy a car, why do I want a car? If you're going out to buy groceries, why am I going to buy these groceries? Because I like them. Okay? And every grocery bag or every grocery cart should include one chocolate cake. Okay? <laughs> That's the American dream. You know, a chicken in every pot, a car in every garage, and a chocolate cake in every household. You know, why do we want that? So we have to start analyzing because I'm not controlling my body. Okay, I'm not controlling my thing. And that's what the Apostle Paul told the Thessalonian church. Make sure that you control yourselves. You know, and this control of ourselves is not just self-control, but it's a submitted control. I'm going to submit myself to God so that his rules, his regulations, his goodness rules my life. Shows me where the boundaries are and says, don't go past that. It's not good for you. Don't do that because it's going to harm you down the road. The consequences are going to be too severe for you. Don't do that stuff. Okay, so we do that. Okay, so we ask ourselves, well, you know, we want to buy a car. Okay, Cindy and I want to buy a car. Our car, we were driving our car yesterday. It's an automatic transmission. It should just go, Right? But we were getting off the freeway, and it was going, you know, big difference. Now, if you're an AMCO specialist, you will be able to discern my problem simply by the voice that I used there, the, the sounds that I made. And what it was, was our transmission was stuck in high gear, and it wasn't going up through the, I don't know, 500-speed transmission that it is. Uh, so it wasn't shifting gears. And I thought, oh, no, and we've already replaced the transmission once. How much more money are we going to put into this thing? And so we're like, uh, you know, I don't know. So we're thinking about buying a car. Okay. Now, let's analyze motives. What would be some good motives for buying a car? Safely getting to your destination. Safely getting to your destination. Okay, that's a good motive. The way it looks. <laughs> the way it looks is not a good motive. Okay. <laughs> but thank you for bringing that up because that's usually what motivates us. Okay. We like the way it looks. And so, you know what I like? I like the way Porsches look. You know, they really are nice cars. I like the way Ferraris look. I, in fact, I really like Teslas. Oh, yeah. You know, the Model S? Yeah, the Model S. I like the way they look. Yeah. Now, it comes that, or I could get a Honda. You know, let's weigh that. My motives, usually my improper motives, many times will lead me to a wrong decision and acquire the wrong car. Okay. Now, we get this Tesla. How many people does a Tesla seat? I don't know. Jared, how many? Uh, Model S. You get the seven. seven. Well, you didn't make my case. Okay. <laughs> I am more inclined to get a Model S now. 
because we need more seats. We, you know, we have grandkids and kids and families and you know that stuff. We and we want to pack more people in to go together because we like going to watch Christmas lights together. It's a family thing. Honest, I'm, I'm, you know, you think that's funny, but we do. You know, we travel far and wide. We've been to Livermore to see lights. We've been to uh, Santa Rosa to see lights. Anybody watch the Great Christmas Light Fight on TV? Yeah. We, if there's one in California, Northern California, we'll go see it. We need seven seats. And now that I know the Model S has seven, how much does the Model S cost? Seven seat. $75,000 starts. How many of you buy the base model? Okay, Andy, thank you. Thank you. I don't. You know? I want a little nicer, you know. How many of you like leather seats? They're comfortable, okay, and they're durable, durable. And if a kid spills something on them, it's easy to clean up, really, okay. Leather is easier to clean than cloth, okay. It stays cleaner longer. It's easier to maintain. Am I selling you a car here? Okay, okay. <laughs> Not a Tesla Model S. Okay, so, you know, we like that. How many of you on your next car would say it needs to have navigation. Navigation. And to get the navigation, you have to get the upgraded sound system. Because when she says, turn left, you want it to sound good. You know, you don't want it to say, hey, you turn left. You know, you want it to sound like something you want to do. You know, you don't want to have to talk back to her. You want to, okay, so you have to have the upgraded sound system. Okay, now we've gone from 75 to what, 90? Yeah, probably. I like cars that have li- little bigger wheels on them. They look, they just look cool. Bigger wheels look cool. Makes it look like it's sitting lower and everything. So that's another upgrade. So I'm at $90,000. Okay, I want this car now, don't I? Yeah. <laughs> I need a third job. <laughs> okay, now, what's my motive? I want that car because it's cool. Not because it's going to help me serve God better. Okay, it's going to help me serve me better. And so therefore, God weighs the motives, right? Will I hate that car when I get it? No, I'll tell you when I'm going to hate it. I'm not going to hate it when I get it. I'm going to hate it when I make that first payment. Yeah. And then I go, what did I do? You know, and then I'm looking on Craigslist to unload this thing, you know, at a modest loss. Okay. So, now, God weighs the motives, right? So, what's a good motive for a car? So that I can be of service to God. So that I can be of service to God. So that I can unite my family, you know. I, I can do it for a whole lot less than $90,000. So I can get a seven-passenger vehicle, and we can all go see Christmas lights together and, and sing Christmas carols and do all that stuff, and make family memories, do all that stuff, to where my grandkids say, I remember my papa, you know. And that, I think brings glory to God, because we establish a history. We start establishing a legacy of being honoring to God. Okay, Now, I want to buy a house, too. So, the Tesla's out. <laughs> Honda's probably in. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, now uh, we're going to be moving. We're going to need a new house, too. I mean, gee, I can't park that Tesla in the driveway that I own now. Pfft, no way. I need a nice big garage. 
Okay, need a big garage to house this Tesla. And it has to be a big garage because I don't want to park it next to another car and have them ding my door. Okay, so now I'm getting a house. Good motive, bad motive? Bad motive. What's a good motive for buying a house or getting a house? So that I can be of service to God. So maybe I can host a small group. Maybe I can have people over for dinner. Maybe I can do this. Maybe I can do that. You know, but, but be a blessing to other people. Remember when Abraham was... was uh, getting the covenant from God. God said, okay, you're going to have a land you didn't, you didn't have before. You're going to have houses. You're going to have cattle. You're going to have uh, crops. You're going to have all this stuff. And you're going to be a blessing to all the people of the world. Keep that in mind as you buy stuff. How will this help me be a blessing to people you know, maybe not the whole world, but to the people that you have influence over, the people you have contact with. How will this help me do that? Then you can evaluate your motive. The motive is to be a blessing to God and to be a blessing to the people. Great, let's do that. Galatians 1.10. Apostle Paul writing to the Galatian church, and he says this, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings? You know, how many of you have bought something, you purchased something, you know, for the approval of human beings? You know, maybe not all human beings, but at least one or two people. I want to impress them with this. You know, I want to make sure that I look good. I want to make sure that... Uh, have any of you ever gone on an on a interview with the sole purpose of impressing the interviewer? You know, I'm going for a job. I need to impress them. Here, I, even then, let's evaluate our motives. Okay, I want to be impressive to them. I want to get the job. But who holds the keys to all of that? It's my belief that God does because he's a sovereign God and can provide for me. Okay? I'm trying to impress who? God. I'm not trying to impress the interviewer, the boss. You know? I'm hopefully that the, the boss will be impressed by what God reveals through me and I get the job. Don't get me wrong. But God is the audience that I perform for. Okay? Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, notice, I would not be a servant of Christ. If I'm trying to please people, I'm not a servant of God. And there's no middle ground there. If my motive is to please people, it won't go well for me pleasing God. So therefore, I've tried to order my life as much as I can to be a performer for the audience of one, the audience of God. And so therefore, when I'm pleasing to God, you know what happens when you're pleasing to God? You'll find that you're pleasing to a lot of other people too. You know, people who love God will honor that, will see that, and they will be blessed by it. Okay? Galatians 3.17, or Colossians 3.17, I'm sorry. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, when you see a successful person, what do you think? You think, oh man, they made a few really good decisions in their life that put them on the right track to be successful. I would, I would beg to differ with that. I believe that successful people make it a habit of making small decisions that are honoring to God, and that's what brings them success. Now, can you be a success without honoring God? Well, maybe by human standards. Maybe by human standards. But you will never be successful in what God's put you on the planet for unless you're honoring to Him. Okay? Unless you make all of those small decisions, you know, what should I do today? How should I treat this person? What should I say to them? What gas station should... No, not that one. Okay. 
So therefore, successful people make many good decisions on a daily basis that keep them pointed towards success. Let's go back to Colossians 3.17. Do it what? And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all. Do it all. Everything that you do, the big decisions, the small decisions, the verbalization that you engage in, the encouragement that you perform, the correction that you might need to perform, the, the where you need to get in somebody's face, do that all in the name of the Lord. Speak the truth with what? Love. So when you have to correct someone, when you have to confront someone, and that's part of the Christian life, confronting people, okay, you do it how? In love. In love. I am more concerned about you in this conversation than I am about me. So therefore, do it in love. Now, uh, remember, today we've just laid the foundation for what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. So let me give you a couple of bullet points here. If you want the right who, if you, if you are the right who, I'm sorry, if you want the right who, if you are the right who, God will lead you to the right do. Focus on the who before the do. Okay? Kind of sounds a little bit like hoodoo, huh? That was just... That was not very funny. But remember, dads have what? Yeah, corny jokes. Okay, if you're driven by the right why, God will lead you to the right what. Okay, so make sure that you get these things in right order. Because if they don't get in the right order, man, you'll never end up at the right destination. Now, what did God do to help you get to these places here? What did God do to help you get to the right who? What did God do to help you get to the right why? He sent his son, Jesus. Jesus came to this earth to reveal to us who God is. And God is love. And Jesus came to reveal that to us. And he shows us in a myriad of ways how he was loving to everybody that he met. Did he have to get in the face of some of the Pharisees? Yeah. In fact, all of them are brood of vipers. But it was for their benefit so that they could be confronted with the falsehood of their belief so that they could turn and repent and turn to him. And I believe that today, God does the same things. He kind of gets in the face of people who are not yet followers of this and say, hey, I love you so much. I sent my one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross for you. And you have great potential. If you turn your life, if you repent of your ways and you come and follow me now, you will achieve your potential. You will achieve your purpose here in this world. I believe that once we get there, we get to to relationship with Christ. Many of us just coast for the rest of our lives. But I want you to be sanctified. I want you every day to become more and more and more like Jesus. More and more like him in every way of your life. Don't just come to Jesus in repentance and coast. Do not do that. Come to him so that you can on a daily basis be confronted with his word. So that you can become more and more like him every day of your life. 